0: All right, sit back, relax. It's time for another Laneway Talks. Good morning, Billy, and welcome to Laneway uh, Talks, and it's good to talk to you today. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm very well, thank you, and good morning, Vincent. Thank you for having me on your, on your, on your part.
0: Oh, that's a pleasure. Um, we're trying to get across to all our Laneway artists, and it's going to take us quite a few years. Um, look, we start, we start every time with, um, you know, where you grew up and uh, was it? You know, a musical upbringing uh, and whatever. So, where where did you where did you grow up, Billy?
1: Well, I was born in Brisbane, uh, but my dad was a mining engineer, so we were up up in um, the Northern Territory for the first part of my life, and then uh, my mother got jack of that, and we moved. She moved us down to Sydney and into Elizabeth Bay and a little apartment there. And my dad used to have to come and go. Uh, she she got sick of crocodiles and buffaloes.
0: Everything. Well, Elizabeth Bay couldn't uh, – you couldn't go any worse than that. Lovely place where Jeff Duff lives.
1: Yeah, well, that plumped as, as young kids in the middle of Sydney, in the middle of, you know, life. It was, it was exciting and yeah. also pretty,
0: yeah, pretty of, rough
1: around there too, you Yes, know? it
0: was in the early days. We had a lot of friends there, Roger, um, Roger Mason from the Models and, uh, look, a whole host yeah. of people. So tell me um, – you know, how did you get started in music? So, did you go to school and did you meet up with buddies who were, you know, into music also, or did it come later in life, Billy?
1: Um, Well, it sort of began, I I was, I'm a practising artist these days, happy for for decades now, but initially it started because I I was actually at art school and my sister bought me a guitar as a present, an an acoustic, and I just fell in love with it, and prior to that my mother had made me do violin so hold on let's think
0: let's think age brackets okay billy so if you're talking art school that means you're at university art school
1: yeah. Yep, so you but really... As a, as a child, yeah. I I did learn the violin, but I, I was pretty bad at it. I couldn't even master, uh, you know, Twinkle, Twinkle yeah. uh, without yeah. couldn't get getting ex- complaints from I the couldn't, neighbourhood.
0: Couldn't get excited
1: about the, the but violin. But I did I did um, branch out, and I was busking. I used to go busking when I was really young, like 13, 14, in like, tunnels at Central and just oh. play crazy violin. Oh, really? And and, and just sort of let loose, you know, and that actually was a revelation to me. Uh, however, I, I did go away from that a little and then went to art school and it was at that point that my sister, as I said, bought me a guitar. So I was probably late, very late teens, early 20s, and I picked up bass playing and a little bit of keyboard playing in that process mucking around with, with different people. So yes. I had a kind of general musical background, uh, but I never classified myself as a musician.
0: No, so you, you, haven't, you didn't learn formally, so when you got the guitar, you just started experimenting and teaching yourself. Is that correct?
1: I, le- I did get formal violin training. I used to go every week to a, a class.
0: But, know, ha- but how did that transition to a six-string guitar?
1: Well, simply because the strings have notes on them, and, get, and the guitar's just a bigger version that mm. you pick. Mm. So I could understand the guitar quite well. you know. So yes, I just taught myself.
0: So did, and, you, did you have the rhythm in you in the sense that you had tunes in your mind and, you know, you, you picked up the six-string guitar, okay, there's a kind of a, a, a transition from violin to guitar, but, you know, yeah. were you getting these tunes in your head where you're going, wow, I, I, I need to release, you know, I need to get out of well, this stuff?
1: Well, I think time. so. I think so because my, my early interest in guitar uh, was centered around uh, uh, I really like guitar playing. I thought that was amazing, mm. and particularly I like the Atlantics because they were really balalaika players who who then transformed on Les Pauls and Fenders, you know, sort of interesting. And
0: so, so, and t- so, tell me, you know, so you're starting there with your acoustic, yeah. Um, so you're starting to do you start to write songs, or are you just doing cover songs yes. first, and that's what you're exploring first?
1: Again, I was terribly undisciplined, so I used to just like to write my own pieces. Mm. And that wasn't out of any arrogance or anything. I just preferred it that way. I mean, if people
0: know who you are now and what you do now, um, to me it, it seems very natural. You're very artistic and, therefore, it's always been in you. And especially that way that you said that I was a little bit arrogant and I just started writing. But from what I see online with what you're doing now, artistically, it all kind of fits, really, Billy.
1: Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. And, you know, I I started mixing with other people who thought the same way. And, you know, I went through different uh, groups of musicians as I worked my way up in the playing arena. But I I actually started out, my my first musical enterprise publicly was not on the guitar, Mm. it was on the bass, uh, which I thought was just a big fat violin.
0: Well, who was that with?
1: That was... Uh, there was a a little band called uh, Aeroplane Footsteps, and we were playing around in Darlinghurst. And we had a transgender singer. Oh, yeah. And who played keyboard and some other, I can't even remember who else was in it. They seemed to change every week. But there was her and I, or he and I, Mm. them and I, Mm. started, you know, composing songs and playing them publicly. Yeah. Uh and then I moved up that sort of didn't go very far. But we did play around the clubs in the in, in, in a city. Uh and then I started another group that I thought was fantastic, uh, called Gangland. Yeah. Which was a bit of a pun because we weren't like that at all. Yeah. Uh, and eventually I met Dean Denham who I who I formed the Sea Monsters with. But I I'd, I'd already recorded um the very first cassette on my own. Yeah. With through a man called andrew rock who, now, now
0: hold the, on that, this first cassette billy this first cassette because the first one we've got up is black rum right but the first cassette was what
1: it's it called way out west
0: right but th- was and, that the uh, sea monsters it, it, it wasn't the sea monsters was it
1: it was called the sea monsters when we released it and it's but i'd already recorded that that year hmm. and it was pretty much just a Done on a Tascam 4, you know, the little Tascam yeah. 4 track thing. Yeah. <laughs> and a, and a well. Casio. I hate those So things. it was Casio music, <laughs> but it's very peculiar. And we printed 500 of them. Yeah. And gave them away to people. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, to get things going. And that really created, uh, and that you can find online. It, it, it You can hear it on some places on, on
0: mm. the and, that and was, I
1: don't have a copy yeah. of it myself. Yeah. I'm desperately trying to
0: find one. <laughs> well, you're with a lot of many other artists who go, I don't have those early recordings. But, you know, so therefore, you, there's an establishment of the Sea Monsters. Now, the Sea Monsters... So it
1: starts with me doing this stuff, and then that led to a friendship with Dean Denham, mm-hmm. who, who, who then we started to meet and write together and he could play guitar, bass and piano really well. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time I had a, a, an actual writing collaborator yeah. who, who who I worked with really well. Mm. And that leads to a proper band. Yeah. And we had uh, – Paul Hester had let um, um, deck chairs over chairs overboard. Yeah, who we'd gotten to know, and that led to the first black, proper r- black rum live live recordings here yeah, and black rum. I and mean, various other pieces. So where and would suddenly you... we were up in a different league?
0: Yeah, well, tell me, and, um, when you got to that kind of point, were you pulling a crowd yet? Surprisingly,
1: we were. Yeah, we were very popular in in the inner city hmm. area and. So we, for example, we had the headline spot at the Hopeton Hotel on a Saturday night for a long time. You know, and
0: well, you've got to, you've got to ask yourself, we not, you've got to ask yourself, Billy, how you categorise the sea monsters, okay? So from um, my perspective...
1: I pers- think it's easy and... Go on. Sorry, no, uh, from your perspective. Well, from
0: my perspective, uh, if you look at where it kind of starts in the early to mid-80s, and yep. there was this real independent pop sound that Australia had of its own. It didn't fit uh, overseas at all. It, that was our sound. And it was really happening more in Sydney than it was in Melbourne. And you fit yep. categorically into that that area. And it was it's so unique. Um, and you were right at the early phase of it. And there isn't a lot of bands, I think, that are around the, at that point where we've released around that 83, 84, 85, 86 with that sound that you had. And it is so accessible really even till today. So I, you know, I'm gonna give you a bit of a laugh. Um I, I've I've got a, a few playlists I put on in the office and um Dan, my business partner, was walking past one day and we were having a chat about something. He goes, that's a good song. You know, who's that? I said, "Oh, that's the sea monsters." Now, remembering, we can't come across every. We've got so many acts, Billy, that you know we we just don't know all the songs. And um, no. and he just went. Now, that was only probably two months ago that he said that, and and that to me is a testament to the quality of the music, and I mean creatively, not referring to the audio quality. Creatively, that. It stands the test of time, and it still sounds like a good indie pop with a slight rock in it. Now, that's that's my well, impression.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm very honored that you think that. And um, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, my partner, Sarah, often plays my records to torture me. <laughs> uh, and so I do listen to them yeah. from time to time. Yeah. And I'm always surprised at the uh, how much I actually like them. And I, uh, I think, though, in, a, in one sense, I think they were a little bit out of time uh, mm. because there was a lot of experimentation done between the three albums. There was a lot of experimentation done with really good musicians in Sydney. And remember, at the time, Sydney was the mecca. Mm. I mean, if you wanted to be somebody or you wanted to get... Mm. Your, no, you had to be here and you he had to be working, mm. and so there was a lot of people here that you could easily approach, and uh, from all different kinds of groups and genres, and that's really what we did. Well, we, t-
0: t- talk, we, talk to George. me about cooking with George because that is a really good release. How, well, how did yeah, that come so, along? What is it? What was
1: it? Well, we released Black Rum, um, and the the cooking with George project was really the beginning of what they do now. You know, with the they like search for artists and they mm. travel. Mm. So it was it was fantastic, and um, they basically just said to us, "We're going to send you to the big ABC studios, and mm. you can record a bunch of tracks and um, blah blah blah." And the group that was there just as we were leaving with the XL Capri.
0: Oh, I remember XL Capri very well.
1: Yeah, and so we went in there and did that morning, and uh, we invited Lewis Tillot. Uh, to join us. Oh
0: well, there's there's and, a name. I mean, it's a good name, and it can be a bad name, but anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, well, you know, he was somebody that we re- we we like. Yeah. That because he he didn't require uh, scripting. You know, mm. he, he was one of those people who could just play, and you and you either liked what he did or you didn't. Yeah. I personally did, and mm. so we laid down a whole bunch of tracks in that fabulous ABC studio off William Street, mm. you with the the sound recorder on a second story above you know who, who was apple Sprague.
0: Hmm.
1: and um he liked it so much he kept bringing us back in and we we did a whole bunch of the recordings that you can hear oh really uh, like seven cities are dreaming uh was done on its own with lewis Tillett. yeah and that night for example is how how is a good example of how it was, it was just myself a drummer uh, who we didn't know because we, we couldn't find paul hester and seen myself and lewis Tiller and yeah. I, I we, we had one run-through where he listened to the song and he said, I've got it, and then he said, record, and we it out this one. It's one of my favourite tracks, and it's the story of Australia at does, the time and that, a portrait of the seven cities.
0: Does that roll um, into Winter Sun? Yeah. So and Winter Sun, some of those tracks were recorded there? Was it? Would that be yes. correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and cool. but some of them ended up on the next album too. Wow. because so, we had a lot of material. Mm. But what I loved about it, and, and, and it's, And essentially, that's what I really loved about the band when I thought we were at our very, very best. Mm. We were taking Leap and we were doing fresh music all the time Mm. and laying them down in recordings and kind of moving on and continuing to change.
0: Well, there's no doubt between the beginning and the end of your recordings, there is definitely a change and experimentation going on, and that's super important. But I want to ask you something. With Winter Sun, there's a song called James Bond on there. Who wrote that song? What's it? What's it about? Uh,
1: I I wrote it, and because I always loved Five, you know, so that okay. was really cool. Um, but uh, it, it's a strange song. Yeah, it's a kind of novel, put it that way. So some of the songs were really, uh, and I can come back to this a few later, and where I ended up in my art practice and curate mm. it later. Mm. Uh, I was kind of really, somebody said to me one night, oh, your songs are like little paintings. That's and I said, a
0: good analogy. That's a good analogy. I actually, They
1: said, they said yeah. well, like you get in front of it and use poetry and melodic lines and then trending sound type in, in your production. And I think that's exactly what we were doing, so we didn't know it. You know, so I, I think, in a sense, that's what I meant when I said earlier. I think we were a bit out of time because that today, of course, is, is uh, clearly understood. Good. Mm. Now, now remember in those days you really had to be like the Sunny Boys to be a popular. You had to have grown up together, either be related in family or mm. going, gone through school together. Never changed a single line up. Mm. Got Lobby Lloyd to produce you and just do <laughs> rock and roll.
0: Yeah, come on, and, you're typecasting the music business. Come on, but, Billy. but
1: that's really what it was like. I mean, it was if you didn't. Well, I'd
0: worked and with I all. I've, I've worked with all those people. I've worked with I
1: I'm a fan, you know. So don't get me—I don't yeah. mean it in a negative. No, no, I just no. mean it. There was there was one way where you really produced your sound and you gave the audience what they wanted, and which was to go wild and have fun and wreck a pub and, mm. and so on. And uh, but the Sony boys were obviously better than that. Mm. But and then there was all this, this other world of musicians who uh, were very difficult. And for example, I really liked there were obscure bands and there were so many of them at that time. It, you could go out seven nights a week, yeah, and see all these incredible artists. Oh, absolutely, strange things.
0: I mean, um, an, an, another song I want to ask you about though is "City of Funk." Now, I love, right. I love that song. What's, what is it about?
1: Well, Do you even remember?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, we yeah. made a video for that with yeah. Tony Elasis, the yeah. country singer. Absolutely. And again, you get an example where Tony was brought in to sing a funk song. Yeah. It, she was so confused by it, but in the end she loved it and she got it, you know, and I said, what we need is Tammy Wynette on the top of it, you know, to to make it more interesting. Mm. She, she did that. But City of Funk was really then about, well, you know, the crisis in politics that
0: haven't really changed a lot has and now, now let, let's stop right there you, you are hundred percent on the on on the ball I mean nothing has changed has it everything no. we spoke about back then and everything we spoke about 10 years earlier than that yep. nothing has changed. I hate politics. We never bring it up on our Facebook page or post because it just brings across crazy people. It is just yes. nothing changes. We're fighting for the same thing we were fighting back for back then, you know.
1: Right. Uh, and, you know, there was there was huge crises going on, people starting to get wars and all that. Absolutely. And, and the song's chorus line is, Bring me the money, bring me the money. Mm you know, blah, blah, blah. And in a, in a sense, it sounds quite churlish today. But at the time, there wasn't, and midnight like a midnight oil, like their thing. there was, wasn't a lot of music people criticising the media and, you know, things going on in the world um, per se. Not well, you know, things. Billy,
0: I had someone just in the last 48 hours, you know, present a new song for release and whatever and said, look, he goes, oh, I've called it Woke Off. He said, but I feel it could be a little bit too... Uh, controversial? I said not at all. I said we live in a democracy. I said if you want to call it woke off, call it woke off. I mean, you know, you, you you've got to come up against the media. We do have to have both sides at all times, uh, contesting each yeah. other. It's it's what it's all yeah. about. And I said no. Um, and I, I see with a lot of your songs. I mean, you know, I just love some of those titles you've got. I mean, you going got to laugh, the seahorses by the sea monsters. I mean, yeah, it's great. It's just fantastic. Um, you know, and we go from Winter Sun and we move to um, and the Fuzz Dice Cult, which is a crazy name for an album. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. What? Where did that come from? And the Fuzz Dice Cult. I mean, it's great. Well, I love it when I, you know, see it.
1: Yeah, by this stage we've grown up. You know, we're playing, uh, we've done touring, you know, we've learned about surviving in the pubs, mm. you know, and how to support a band like the Hoodoo Guru's mm. or, or anybody else. And we supported just about every big band. And, and so they were always an object lesson every single time. And so by this stage, we'd learned a lot and toughened up a lot and could play better because you have to learn how to play in public. Mm. You have to, you know, and you have to have the ability to remember all of your music,
0: Mm.
1: especially when it's new. Because we had to sing. We would always do different sets and different music and bring different musicians in. So that always upped the stress levels on on things. But um, I, I think we'd also become a rock and roll band by then. Because of the work we were doing, yeah, uh, we we'd sort of leaned into the muscle of the, the, the Australian music. You'd fuzzed up
0: it. those guitars as opposed to uh, the twanging guitars in the central. The more, uh, if you go back to your earlier material, it has that real indie um, twang or thinness to it, and it and, it a, Casio
1: and a surf guitar, yeah, a, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And an
1: an electronic bass line.
0: Right. So then you moved up and you started to fuzz things up a bit, yeah?
1: Well, by this stage, we could afford proper fenders and Gibsons and basses, and we had proper equipment, and we've been playing on stage with electric equipment. And, you know, that changes you when suddenly you're involved in the real world of real Sonics on a stage performing. Mm. And, you know, in that album. Uh, it captures that period very well. Mm. And... and
0: um, I mean, well, you know, I mean, you've got so a song... We, so called,
1: you change.
0: Well, you know, you've got a song there, uh, Amphetamines. Uh, yeah. You know, and then there's Detroit Girl. I mean, they're a couple of my favourites. Um, yeah. And, you know, it really does hover around, I presume, dif- quite different topics um, as to bands or artists that revolve around fairly similar topics, you know, and... Yeah. That's what they constantly yeah, much writing.
1: more about life on the road, the fuzz, black, cold. And we used to have a, a little, uh, I had a lucky oven, one of those things you put over your rear view mirror, the fuzzy guy. Oh, yeah. We, we used to keep that in the, <laughs> <in> the car. <camp. laughs> and we had uh, a man called Rocky Rochester, who's in a fabulous guitarist, lead guitarist but I just, it's just a proper lead guitarist mm. there mate. Um and he he was an epileptic and but we didn't know he kept kept that quiet until one day we crashed and we found out that he'd had an episode whilst driving the car. So oh. after that we kept the, the lucky dice thing and we had to we move from colourful lighting on stage to just black and white, no flashing lights and things like that. Oh wow. But it's a funny little detail, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, and I mean um you know what? What you got to do to continue to perform? I mean, there's just a lot of things. I mean, you, some people might go, "Yeah, so what?" Well, it makes a big difference, you know, to how you yeah. perform. You know,
1: yeah, it's interesting.
0: Um, well, how do we know. we move to lost days? So we we move to that now. We're moving towards what the late '80s, early '90s. Yep. So yep. what's happening by that stage? So how um, the Sea Monsters have again have had lineup changes?
1: I, I in a, everything went full circle for me. I had sort of played everywhere and recorded a lot and uh, written a mountain of music, you know, as, as you know. And mm. you don't you don't have all of it online because some of it I just don't want shared. But I kind of went full circle, and I, I remember distinctly being in a hotel room in Adelaide and it was just. Played with the Cosmic Psycho, yeah. Believe it or not, I Seamon can't, can't system, believe you.
0: I can't see that combination, but anyway.
1: Well, you that's did. how it used to be yeah. through the through the booking agency, and yeah. the, everybody was on these tours. And um, one night you'd be a support, the next night you were the main act, depending on what you could do. But I remember that Dean during that performance, the Cosmic Psychos came up to the. Um, and were heckling up, and it was a packed hall in, you know, like, mm. and, it, and we just ignore it, that, you know, it's fine, I was just having fun, because I, I don't take things like that personally, you know, they're just being tribal and whatever, fine. Yeah. Yeah. it's fine. Yes. But Dean, they caught Dean on a particularly bad night, and he took his, uh, if I remember correctly, he took his guitar off and took a swing at one of them, um, and there was a bit of a scuffle, and this, that, and the other, and afterwards, there was a uh, a brawl in the car park and
0: oh, God. <laughs> you know stuff
1: like that yeah, this, this yeah. is the 80s in australia yeah. you still took your life
0: in your hand. Yeah, child, you know. childish stuff but it all happened but, and no
1: one was there to help you there were no bouncers no police or anything. you had to sort stuff out so I, I but i remember getting back to the hotel and i picked up a lamp to move it from the side table for some reason and i got and i came to i get the other wall. I'd been electrocuted by this oh,
0: lamp. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I,
1: I shook myself off and I, I was okay. Uh, and the, today you would have gone to hospital, but in those yeah. days I just had a beer and a cigarette and went to bed. Oh. But after, strangely it had, had an effect on me and on the way home I, I just turned to the group and I just said, uh, I don't really want to do this touring stuff anymore with all the strange things because yeah. I, I never set out to do that as a mm. songwriter. Mm. Um, and I'm finding it, I'm slowly deteriorating into a kind of, you know, I don't know what it, how I felt really, but I just knew I wasn't enjoying that, that much mm. anymore. Mm. And uh, we'd had a strange problem with our publisher uh, who wouldn't release our, our publishing contract because we, we had signed early on with EBS. Oh yes, and uh, given it's a really good publishing contract, but I'm I'm
0: very anti-publishing. I can tell you that now. I don't see the publishers. I don't know that publishers perform any duties whatsoever, if I ever hear the uh, the statement from them that, well, you know, we'll get you some sync and we'll, you know, and we'll, lad, laddie, it's all, all it is, it is an administration to collect and charge a fee, well, you might as well just do it through AMCOS APRA and leave it at that yeah. and have copyright control. I see no well, yeah, value in them whatsoever.
1: Well, in those days, that's what they used to do. they come around and, so we got signed up quite early, early, mm. early on mm. in the publishing deal and we, you know, that... I, I hadn't never seen myself as a success in any way, you know, and so for the offer to be offered a publishing company with CBS, mm. I was so flattered. So we took it, yeah. And I think we got like a five thousand dollars fee for signing yes. up, yes. Uh, which was quite a, a bit lot of money, money back I, then.
0: A lot of money.
1: And I bought a combi van for the band yeah. for the band to run around in. Yeah. And about a week into that, the coloured Paul Kelly's coloured girls borrowed the van and it never survived. <laughs> and so that's where my publishing went. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just straight down the drain. Yeah, gotcha. And, and so then we didn't have a record release, and CBS, the A&R director of the time, even though we had Ken West, as the big supporters, and we had yeah. Roger Griffin managing us, and we yep. had a, an initial release on his little indie label, um, Green Record, mm-hmm. um, they, they weren't... Really suited to what you know, releasing a, a big record and doing all that stuff, so they were more into this other side of things. So we shopped around, and everybody wanted to get the publishing off CBS. Yeah, so there was a moment there where we, if we hadn't done that, we probably could have signed a, a really great record deal with somebody and, and proceeded down right. a whole different road. Hmm. As a consequence, they refused to release our publishing unless it's. Carried a 200k price tag.
0: Were you? You were unrecouped, Were you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they. I uh, they, they, they And then they, because of that, we got very cross and started to say, "Well, you know, we don't want to work with you anymore. This is ridiculous." Mm. And blah, blah 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 blah. And We want out. And so they then organised a record deal uh, for the Winter Sun album, which is you know, the first album. Yeah. And. The, all of the tracks that are there were recordings that should have been actually re-recorded in a proper 24-track studio and
0: everything. Yeah.
1: Um, and they put them all together. They put the artwork together and released an LP uh, through an indie label and um, didn't discuss the artwork with us or what was going to happen, and they released it. And they, they contacted me and said, to that, you know, we've released your record. And I said, what record? I'm not kidding. This is how things used to go. Yeah. There was so much disrespect to the artist that they wouldn't even tell you what you... Oh, well, were
0: it exists today. Don't you worry. It's out there anyway, with, with so the majors. Nothing's changed.
1: I, I think I was aware of a certain amount of doing. But anyway, that album cover uh, led to me refusing to ever speak to them again mm. at CBS Publishing because they got press photos that we'd done for Interview Magazine, mm. which... Which was then, you know, a really cool local, yeah. you know, fashionista thing. It was mm-hmm. great, and but it was strange photographs, and the, so they and the, they got a photo of me with Tony Elias and Andrew Ross, who, who's a jazz musician and was really doing other things, wasn't in the band at all. Neither was Tony, and put that on the cover, and then did all these strange stupid things with anchors and this terrible
0: lettering. And yeah, I'm looking at others. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. It, it looks like a five-year-old put it together. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's not my favourite, that's and, for sure.
1: And I said, I never would have released that record cover like that. Mm. And Why are these people in the photos? even though they did perform on the, on the record in a few backing things? But anyway, so it was too late. That was through Powderworks Records.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, well. um, and they were great people in the that, but they know not fault, but it's just the oh, way it all went, and I think that was just phenomenal. Man.
0: I think, as you said there, disrespectful. Um, I don't want you to think that that doesn't occur today. It is happening just as badly with the majors today as it did back then. Um, and, you know, you don't even want to know some of the things we have to tackle at the moment with the majors. And that, that you're just dealing with companies, I'll say this really honestly, um, corporations which are maintaining the level of living standards for the executives. Now, remember, I've been in this environment, so, okay, I'm guilty myself, but I'm on the other, the shoe's on the other foot now. So I then champion for the independents and and we are maintaining their lifestyles. How uh, a classic, I used to go in, see George at, at Universal and my, all, my first words to him all the time, every time I go, I can't believe the foyer. It's the Taj Mahal who built this. It is so expensive, the amount of money that he said, it's all before my time, right? Mm. But, you know, there's always an answer. But, th- th- you know, this was the same all round. I mean, the money maintaining the executive structure at these corporations, and it is still happening today. Just, they just yeah, they live off get that- the creative talents of people like you.
1: Well, yeah, so that was, you know, by the time we'd recorded, you asked me earlier, you know, the, the Lost Days LP mm. was released through my friend, Andy, and it, it, we set up our own little record label just so that we could release it, and Waterfront Records mm. issued it, and, and it was, it went quite well, you know, but there's the, the, the just total limits to that. You know, you sell three or 400 albums, and mm. you're number one mm. on the indie things for months. Mm. Seriously, I mean, it's not... not not enough. And,
0: no, you know, no, no, no. They will tell it me. Feels good. Tell me about my favorite track, "Vodka and Chocolates."
1: Yeah. Well, again, this is a. That's a, a, track about words and moods and feelings, more than it is about a direct narrative. Right. But it, it's sort of it, it's a it's, an un, it's, it's a very poetic piece. Yeah. So we used to do that with in between social narratives, love songs. Yeah. You know, and usually for me they were. Uh, just like every other young man, you, you know, all about the torture of sorting that out. Yeah. But, uh, but, that, but then we did this other material that had a kind of, uh, we'd allow the words to build a certain storyline and uh, you know, it has a kind of Mexican feel.
0: Were you a musician that wrote lyrics prior to writing the music, or did you write the music and then the lyrics?
1: Um, well, you know, you always hear the same answers, don't you? Um, <laughs> I, I, I well, think...
0: I don't know. I was going to hear your
1: answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's either one or the other, right? And, uh-huh. um, but I think, no, these were, particularly that song, it was a crafted piece. Yeah. Probably with the whole group sitting around, and yeah. we'd have a few words and then build it up and create mm. the storyline. But we sort of liked the way that the words interacted and the music interacted. But nearly always, we were talking about the flavor of the the, the musical elements in it. Mm. And that song has a strange uh, Wurlitzer uh, thing in it, as do other tracks. But it had a kind of Mexican um, feel, mm. uh, if you like. And it's a little bit. Uh, about uh, ex- enjoying excess. Uh,
0: that's interesting. Enjoying s- excess. Ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. You could. That's ex- so relevant. Worse, no that's so relevant chocolate. today. Excess. I talk about. But this. it was also yeah. Yeah, I talk about it all the time. Oh, that's. It's really. It's relevant in today's society. Excess. What we have yeah. is we have the rich and we have the poor. And you know, yeah. I cracker. We had a big discussion yesterday, Billy, in the office about this new vaping ban that's going to happen. And uh, yeah. my opinion is, well, all we're doing is now going to trade on the uh, misery and death of the lower class because they are the bigger smokers where the government is taxing the hell out of them. But if you're serious about cutting lung cancer and everything that goes with it, why not just ban cigarettes like you're going to ban vaping then? Um, yeah. Uh, just the, the hypocrisy of it all. Mm.
1: Well, exactly, yeah. and so the you know these you know the use of words in that sense that might sound one way can mm. it can carry an ironic meaning, mm. and we always worked on that you know mm. idea that the words had a layering, and so poetry was always a big part of the uh, all of the Sea Monsters tracks. I think
0: know? I think you're right on. it. The lyrics are um, they just from the beginning. From the beginning, the recording, say, from Black Rum and then to the end, there's such a play on words with your music. There's depth to the lyrics. There really is. Now, whether there was depth intentionally or whether it was just the creative flows that were happening at the time, um, I think there's depth to the lyrics. And then you have this quite intricate... Um, movement of music around it. Anyway, that, that's the way it comes to me.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I'm proud of. You know, as an, as an older Australian musician now, when I look back on it all, I mean, we didn't have any gifts except some popular pieces, you mm. know, which uh, I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled that anyone listened to them. Um,
0: well, well, it represents music at a specific time in the Australian music landscape, and there is so many different acts that help nurture the bigger acts and just because yeah. there wasn't huge success here does not mean that this isn't super relevant to our development of music in this country, and it has to be acknowledged by being out there. Now, I do have musicians that don't want their music out, and they just don't care, and I go, well, I don't even know why you recorded it for yeah. then. Why why even bother? But, you know, um, this this is very relevant to points in time and the development and uh, you know, so, well, tell me, as we get to the end of Lost Days, and you're know, obviously splitting up because I don't have any music after that.
1: There is no band in Lost Days. Right, that is uh, it's, just it's, you,
0: it's, more so.
1: It's gone back to me Yeah, and the musicians that I know, and uh, I recorded the whole album over months at a small studio. Yeah. And uh, we would, you know, just go and enjoy ourselves again. And yeah. for me, I landed in my happy place. Yeah, and and today you would recognise that as a professional songwriter. Mm. They would have that in their own lounge room, mm. you know, as I do now. Mm. But at the time, we had to go somewhere else, you know, and it was yeah. still analog. Yeah, um, but. Uh,
0: so what it what happened really, there re- at the end? So you know the kind of you've put the you know you've got these songs together. Um, was that the end of playing live, and then and it's the next no, stage in your career? And you know
1: looking- we toured that around for a while. Yeah. And by this stage, you know we we're considered veterans. Mm. You know of the. <laughs> you know we're only three albums in, and we're veterans yeah. of the scene. You yeah. know, So I don't know, and so we were, we were doing live versions of it and uh, with, with a, new, a new set of people, and mm. that was fine. And But as I said earlier, I'd already kind of grown out of that role. I, I wasn't that particularly interested in putting yet another rock and roll band yeah. onto the Australian circuit. Mm. Uh, and the, you didn't really have options then. You either did that, or you just didn't do anything. Yeah. And it was very difficult, whereas now there's a plethora of options for songwriters and performers. Absolutely, there is. You know, but then you had no choice. You either went full-time, pretty much a rock and roll band with truck manager, roadies, the whole thing. And so we did it for a while, and then I I just felt that I'd performed the album. Yeah. You know, and we did, uh, and it was fine. I liked that. Uh, And then I stopped. And at this stage, I'm having... uh, you know i'm a young man now probably late 20s or yeah. very early 30s and i wanted to uh, go to you know go back to university because i dropped i dropped out of my second year of university in new south Wales yeah degree to take the sea monsters proper on the road yeah and so I, I just part of me wanted to go back and i did and so i then went on and did a, a new undergraduate degree in university and then and in, a, in arts a again? In, in, in visual arts yeah. and then a master's degree and then a PhD in Australian arts. So, theory. yeah. And that led me into the world of curating shows and doing other things. And all of my band experiences really paid off at that point because I knew how to handle groups of people. Yeah. I knew how to keep them organized, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I went down a very different road. But in between that period, I used to go and play... Nightclub on my own, Mm. doing blues songs that I really like.
0: Really, blues
1: infirmary. Really, yeah, blues, yeah. (laughs) And I'd just take my acoustic guitar and play as best I could. And. Um, because we had some celebrity in the inner city of sydney yeah I was able to do that and people would come and go oh, that was interesting <laughs> <laughs> and so I was taking this poor audience on you know, another difficult road with me you know mm. but I was always selfish in that way i my, I thought my life was my own mm. I, I'm not interested in the big construct I just yeah. want to do what what's interesting to me and if other people enjoy it excellent
0: well tell me a little bit about what you you're curating and what you do now because i see a bit of it online right so yeah what does that entail what what are you doing are you putting art around music or space around space or what is it
1: yeah well you know any any sort of artist or curator today will tell you they're not really one thing, hmm. and they're much more like the person you meet in the beginning of the seminar. Yeah, where it's a kind of, you know, to organise a curation today, it has to be socially responsible. Yeah, you have to have all kinds of media involved; otherwise, it's considered boring. Yeah, uh, and blah 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 blah. So it's it's kind of you have to be a master of everything. Hmm. And then still managed to bring stories together. But I, I, um, uh, when I finished my degree, my PhD, I, my first job was working for the National Association of the Visual Arts. Because remember, by this stage, I'm an old guy, yeah, and I've got a battery as, of degrees as I am, behind yeah. me,
0: yeah,
1: right. I'm I'm already old, yeah, and uh, so I worked for the National Association of the Visual Arts, and and. Um, Managed to get myself fired from that job for being disagreeable. You're All right, uh, uh, because ah. I could not, I couldn't cope with. So you're a bit of an, an
0: antagonist, are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> my friend calls me a contrarian. Oh, but I know. I did. I didn't think they were servicing their clients well. You
0: yeah, know, and yeah.
1: I told my boss that, and the next minute I'm out. Yeah. But anyway, that took me down a different road, and and I thought, well, what do I want to do? So I I applied. To uh, what was then Art New South Wales for funding grant mm. to create uh, spaces for uh, the emerging artist network
0: mm-hmm. in,
1: in Sydney. Now at that time, uh, this is around two thousand. Yeah. For every single independent art gallery in Sydney run yeah. by you know competent professional young artists and, yep. that and the other, uh, there were twenty five in Melbourne. So mm-hmm. the ratio was so out, and yet everybody wanted to come here and do stuff. So I set up, I created um, Mock Project, uh, which was a a pretty big success. Mm. Uh, uh, And then I had a shift and moved to Marrickville, which we'd identified as having the largest number of artists and musicians living as as a quadrant of Sydney. And we opened up S&O Project. And just just today, an, an article appeared in Germany about that project. Oh, wow. And it's significant fantastic. to Australian art. Oh, fantastic. Because it was very, very significant. Yeah. And what we did was got the money from the government and we presented a beautiful space. And the artists who were showing there uh, untypically did not have to do any work. We, we presented the whole show, showed it for them, yeah. even sold works, And yeah. And so the artists, these young artists would go away with a professional show under their belt and often proceed really well. I started applying all of the things that had bothered me about the music industry to the visual art industry, and since then we've done dozens of projects here and abroad. The most recent one was in Kiev, where we joined a group called the Kiev Non-Objective Group. Wow! And they went on to become using exactly the same thing. Various, in fact, we used no money whatsoever. Did you
0: go over there, Billy?
1: Yeah, I'd been coming and going from Kiev for some time. Wow! And um, because my family are Czech. Uh, so Eastern yep. Europe, not that yep. unusual to me.
0: Right. Yeah, well, so, you, so, you know, I'll well, tell it. you what I find too with some of the things you put up online when I see it. Um, I look at it and I go, what the hell? And it just begs questions. I just look at it and I'm mesmerised because it's so different. You kind of go, what? Well, what is this? And it just begs questions, you know? Right. I, that, that, that's how... Uh, kind of, what did he put that there for? It begs a question: Why? What? You know, and well, it, so interesting.
1: Oh, well, thank you for that. It also gets me in quite a bit of trouble, but, <laughs> right. you know, with people. But that's fine. It's Facebook, you know, and Facebook's really boring in a lot of yeah. ways, you know. Yeah. So, so Absolutely. Yes, a few days ago, I put a post up about D handles, mm. those little pulls that are on covers that people think are from the seventies. But actually, they're a design icon that goes back in time that's been endlessly copied and replicated and dates back to people like Roca-Boutier or, um, you know, the Bauhaus and all of this sort of thing and was originally a masterpiece of design oh. that we now think is some, something you'd find on a terrible old worn-out cupboard from the 70s. Yeah. So I'm, I'm always surprised by the origins of things and I get yeah. interested in that. And so that's part of the charm of things. And so
0: will there, I, I, will there be any more? Will there be any more music from Billy?
1: Yeah. In the, in this whole process, I've still made music and I've worked quite a lot with the program that we set up in Marrickville, for example. Mm-hmm. We did a pioneering sound art program there, mm-hmm. and every exhibition that we did, mm-hmm. we we invited the sound art from Australia or abroad into the file. and we had a set of headphones that just jacked into the wall. Yeah. The visitors would come in and put the headphones on and they'd listen to this sound piece. And really it was one of the first proper sound art uh, programs Mm. in Australia. And today that's normal. You know, it's, it's only, you know, 20 years back it was considered weird. But so I've always maintained that and I've done some art pieces and various other things. And I do, I have, I still got my original Fender Standard American Strat at home that I bought from a shop in Newtown all those years ago. And, and other instruments. Did, and you semi- did
0: you have a semi? Um, did you have a an acoustic a semi-acoustic body? Um,
1: I thought, yeah, I have got yeah. a beautiful John Denver yeah. Ovation.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought so.
1: Uh, which is a fabulous instrument. Mm, and, ovation, uh, very built nice. by. Well, you get the sound of a martin from mm. it. That was the purpose of it. So it's a design piece. Mm. particularly So, that, you know, as I grew older, I started to become more interested in
0: things. In so there will be some releases from Billy or never will we have any more releases from
1: there? I'm building up to it. The the, guys, the Various people in the band are always asking me to put the group back on the road and go and do some touring. Right.
0: I, I can never get excited about that. I'm going to tell you honestly, that's always a hard thing. I mean, I play in three different uh, acts myself, but from all around the world, because uh, you, know, you can these days, because, you know, there's no borders anymore. But I, I can't get excited about um, the, going back on the road, whereas the creative releases and what can be achieved you know from your own your own bedroom these days is yeah. phenomenal what music i'm getting and so i you know i get excited from new music from say billy gruner yeah i've got i've yeah. got i've got the old albums and i love listening to these some of those tracks i really do and 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 that's all there do i want to go and listen to them live no i, I want to i want to see what you're going to actually write next it's really it in what gets me excited every day, and I'm still, I'm so lucky that I'm so excited every day about the job I do, is to wake up and get an email going, I've got a new track for you to listen to. And I'm the first one who's hearing it. And, you know, say from someone like yourself where the last piece we put out was Lost Days, well, if I got something there that said, oh, oh, Vince, I've got a new track I want you to listen to, go, wow, you know. That's well, I, I do
1: intend to. We're just we're just moving um, curiously from one property to another. Yeah. And um, in in the new house that we're making, mm. um, it has a music studio, mm-hmm. and I bought a set of um, conga drums. Oh, yeah. oh, really? <laughs> and keyboards and stints. and, and yeah. I've got everything for yeah. and and I do plan to do a a set of recording yeah uh, again um, i mean I, it feels it feels right again now and so that probably will take place
0: yeah, yeah. oh fantastic and i and for everybody listening i um uh billy is loves his cars and his motorbikes um and the cars <laughs> are the old zarbs yeah i used to have two zarbs and yeah. um and i have a plethora of motorbikes ducatis and aprilias but i've seen your triumph yeah the triumph correct
1: yeah, I've currently got a later model Triumph because you know, it's less troublesome.
0: Yeah, oh, yes. Well, those carburetors on those old Triumphs, I used to leak a lot anyway. I'm very very well me with those.
1: I had, well, I had, I've had every single Triumph, I think, yeah. through to the, the the latest one. And yeah. every single one of the early ones would take me as far from home as possible and stop.
0: <laughs>
1: you know yeah. and and you kind of just get weary from that yeah. And so yeah, yeah, now yeah. I'm now I'm just a sort of a gentleman is, rider and I yeah. like to come
0: home again. Yeah, you need fuel injection on them. They never go wrong. I tell you they just keep going. But I do have some old I, old, old classic Ducatis too. Got carbs.
1: But I don't trust people
0: in in, uh, in cars. No, there was look, it's it's a hairy thing, but you know, the freedom of being on a motorbike and and yeah. I always, you know, having the visor up or if you have a full face or, or you have a you know, a different type of helmet, it that is it's freedom for me. And it's time yes, to course. think, and I go out and I see everything and go, life is just fantastic, Billy. I love it. <laughs> uh, and and
1: every time I come home, Ben said, my wife is, I thank God you're still alive. Oh, really? So it's, you know, it carries a, a sort of fun fact it doesn't sure. matter. So, but
0: yeah. you know, well, so look, we, you know, I think where we, so I think for people listening that you know, we've gone through where, and as Billy said, you know, as as you've said, Billy, that it you're considered veterans across three albums, but it seems like a lot more. But then when you see what Billy Gruner has done after that in the art world, there's, you've piled so much into your life. It, it is quite amazing. I mean, you, you have... Piled oh, thank them, you. I'm
1: very honoured you think
0: so. You know, and... And that you're still so creative, whether it be with music or whether it be in you know whatever you do, you're crea- curating and whatever, um, or putting spaces together, um, mm. you know. And and it it probably shows. I I always think it it shows who the person is. There's a cre- creativity in there uh, bursting to come, you know. Uh, waiting to burst out and it's there yeah.
1: and it, Well it's caused me a lot of trouble, Vincent, over the years yeah. and a lot of money. Well you No, know, but it's all worth it. Yeah Can well I'd say to any younger person listening.
0: Yeah. You, know, you go and do yeah, it. There you go. And I, I would say exactly the same. I've had a blessed life in the entertainment industry. I consider myself just so lucky and that I can get up every day, and I'm 62 now, and still get excited about what I do. Every day is an exciting day, and I hope that, Good you, you know, that's what you get from your work and, you know, and what you're doing. And so, um, you know, I'd like to finish off by saying, yeah, we all would like to hear some new music from Billy Gruner, um, and whether it comes out... Well, I suppose your your name is the Sea Monsters in a sense, but um, yeah, you know, and, and and to see where where you've grown to with everything that's happened in between, and what that music would sound like.
1: Well, you know, that thank you very much. Uh, what I'd like to say to listeners is um, because the band didn't have a gigantic reach at the time, it's it's such a great opportunity now for anybody to go in and listen to the the albums, and I. I urge you to go and have a listen to them and, uh, and, and let me know what you think. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I would always love to engage with people and I don't even care if they ring me up and say, mate, that was such crap. Mm. And I'd probably have a big laugh about it too, you know, or, you know, I got something out of those lyrics and, and how did you meet that person and blah, blah, blah. And I think that the real um, value of those albums is not so much in what I did with them or whatever, uh, it, it, it's what you said earlier. It is a very rare cross section of just about everybody who was anybody of interest mm. in Sydney mm. in that time, which was an apex moment in Australian music. Uh, by far, you know the and so each track, each album has you know half of Sydney on it, and I think that's what's interesting about it. You know, uh, it's. It, It it blows me away in hindsight Mm. uh, to think that I went down that road because, as I said earlier in the talk, it was not normal to do that.
0: Well, the the only anomaly in the whole discussion is you going out and doing some nights playing blues. That's the only (laughs) anomaly, okay?
1: Well, in a way, I mean, it it was, you know, who doesn't love the blues?
0: Wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know.
1: You know, and so behind all of these things... huge drivers like that, you mm. know, you ask any musician who do they really like, and they'll, you know, someone will tell you it's Janis Jopples, somebody else will say Bled Belly, mm. and you listen to the music they play, it's nothing like that. Mm. So, that I don't think it's an anomaly. You know? if, if you think I, of the
0: I, word, I just, well, if you think of the word rhythm and blues, it yeah. goes across so, such a wide berth of music to use the word, while well, I'm tagging that as rhythm and blues, it's yeah. it's a wide tag, and um, and it's developed so many styles of music. There is no doubt about it. But, um, yeah. well, anyway, we it's been great talking to you and uh, oh, yeah. we did just get to about an hour too and um, we would love to hear some new music from you if you ever decide to put anything out um, and it would be great to, you know, just listen to some sea monsters of, of back in the day and then some new music and I'd just love to see those differences. It'd be really interesting.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you're going to tag a Pete this i think you should tag uh sydney wind uh which was written at the most low point of my my life so my which,
0: which song which song had,
1: uh, sydney wind sydney and wind where is that on which which that's album on the only winter sun album I've
0: uh sydney wind yep got it yep
1: and and to me it's one of the most poetic and evocative yeah. portraits of a city i uh, you know it, 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 what i had in mind when i wrote that was tommy Lee and Eddie's my city of sydney Mm. I remember I'd met the excel Caprice and mm. they had a hit with that and at the time I was thinking about writing a portrait song of Sydney. But it was also it was it's a song of mourning, uh like uh Saint James Prima, the blues song and mm. it was about my mother's passing and you know, it's very young and uh very difficult. And then you have other songs later like um you know, And which oh, has yes, little feeling yes. on it and there is this Turn it up loud. Yeah. so much better loud. And you've got this rambling, wild piano, uh You know, it's just sort of jamming along to a rock band talking about how crazy life is in the seven different cities of Sydney at that time. Uh, and so those, those would be two key songs I recognise fully. All
0: right. I'm going to actually play those after we. Uh, we um Hang up in a in moment. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you. Hopefully, thank you for
1: having me, Vincent.
0: That's all right. And hopefully we do hear from you again in the sense of some new music. That would be fantastic. Yep. Uh, and, um, you know, all the best with all the curating. I, I and have yeah. to
1: thank you, Vincent. You've completely reinvented my career by contacting me that day. And <laughs> do you remember the funny story that, that those we nearly lost all of that music Yeah. Uh, because yeah. the the 2019 bushfire that right. swept through that's right burned our house and everything to the ground and i'd run in 15 minutes beforehand to get the, the master recordings and everything it's that we're in this huge box into the back of my car and we drove off they came within minutes
0: yeah. of that is fantastic and i remember talking to you the very first time i was um I was in Sydney visiting Sydney and at Harbour side and Mark from Ganga Jang had said come down we're doing a free show down at harborside and in between meetings i said yeah okay so i'm in between there so ganga jang are playing and i'm talking to you on the phone and i remember that very clearly and um and that's that's where the whole process started from it was many years ago now but yes it's been a pleasure working with you all right
1: but people are contacting me from all over the world you know did you know that
0: uh, no that is fantastic i I love hearing that that is fantastic
1: fantastic I wish I'd known about your band. I really like what you're doing. Are these new records? And I'm going, no, <laughs> they're 30 plus years old. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're always stunned, you know, yeah. by that. They think they're fairly new recording. Yeah. And then there's that, that ridiculous American band who calls themselves that as well. So there's an American group who calls themselves the Seamon
0: Absolutely. Actually, you're right because it comes up here when you do a search. It comes yeah. up with,
1: yes. Sea monsters. And I yep. beg CBS to get off their ass and sue them and, and yeah. get them to change their name. But well, they you, never
0: do. you can't do that. Yeah, you, just a, anyway. that's never gonna happen. But anyway Well that
1: might have got me in another combi, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that never happened. All right, Vincent, we better go. Thank you for your time and I'm I'm very honoured, thank you.
0: And let's hope we hear from some new new music from Billy Gruner. Thanks. I'm gonna work on that. Thanks, Billy. Talk soon. Well there you have it, another lame way talks. If you enjoyed that. Just search Laneway Talks for more great conversations. G'day folks, Mark Allen here and The Ox, David Schwartz uh, And we've started a brand new podcast called A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers And we're just chewing the fat Couple of Blokes, a Couple of Beers With Ox and Marco I'm
1: thinking about whitening my teeth Just so when I smile There's a
0: new episode every Wednesday
1: Have you got a weight Of course I do <laughs> It's a stupid loaded <laughs>
0: question A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers With David Schwartz and Mark Allen
1: I'm eating the kids' maltese it's You're a eating a of, Christmas present I am a piece
0: of garbage <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcast.